my god. Chris is getting a real intense look. <laughs> oh, man. Stream quote this up. Uh, he's sundowning. <laughs> <laughs> well, just remember, he's an hour ahead of us. So. He's getting the zoomies, man. <laughs> my cat does this, too. He starts <laughs> running around. <laughs> can't stop it. <laughs> he will only stop when he falls asleep. Welcome back to the RTFB podcast, our combination book and movie club. This is Travis speaking. Today, Chris, other Chris, and I will be discussing the first two sections of this season's book, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So, if you had planned on reading along with us, make sure you've already read through parts one and two, Primeval Night and TMA1, before listening to this episode, if you want to avoid us spoiling the plot for you. Otherwise, we'll rejoin my chat with the Chris's already in progress. We're right back. Man, wasn't it great reading all that stuff? (laughs) Sure was. (laughs) All those pages just flew by. Right. Some did. (laughs) I actually found it, I was actually surprised it was a little hard for me at the beginning to kind of get into it. Yeah. Get into the flow, but it did finally did. Yeah. For the ape people. And then... Space stuff is it's good, but uh, I was completely thrown off by having to take notes. Like I don't usually take <laughs> notes when I'm reading, and so I'm like reading two sentences. Okay, I better write this down in case it's important. This guy's name is Moonwatcher. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I just kind of guys take notes. I didn't take any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked to hear it. <laughs> Discussion points would jar my memory. (laughs) But I did find that is it. I liked how he worked into the whole still the moon thing, you know, in that first section with the apes. Yeah. Yeah. General impressions of the first two sections. It's good setup. Yeah. It does feel like a lot of setup. As from the anthropology side, I was glad that the. Ape stuff still kind of holds up. I was actually going to say something about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because because in my mind it doesn't. Oh. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is around this uh, killer ape theory that was popular yeah. in the 50s and 60s that uh, uh, doesn't have a lot of support behind it now. Hmm. I mean, that's for sure. Interesting. Yeah, time, of course, but we are not as uh, naturally bloodthirsty as they thought back then. Right. Speak for yourself. Yeah. I'm from Texas. <laughs> You're not. No, I'm, I'm in Texas, I should say. <laughs> Texas is unique. But even then, as a push comes to shove, I think it's a lot of blustery talk. That's true. So, it's just innate stuff in human, Definitely you true. know, in our wiring that while we might be suspicious of other groups... It's like it doesn't really serve anyone to jump to murdering everybody and mm-hmm. being murderous hunters and stuff like that either way back in the day. Like it's you do that stuff when it's relevant for your survival, but like not all the time type of deal. Yeah. So. Yes, Texans are the others on the other side of the river. Like, yes. They have a big fucking truck and guns and stuff, so don't even come over here. And if you do, I will probably piss my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you just you just take that Texas. Texas. There you go. <laughs> Eat shit, Texas. Yeah. Oh no! God, how many people <laughs> live there? Now? Too many. A lot. And more <laughs> Too every many. day. Yep. All right. So, uh, shall I go? 
Shall I just go through the general plot points, and you guys can jump in if anything interests you to discuss? Sure. So, for part one, Private Little Night, we already sort of talked about it, but it's, you know, the wasteland, the veldt, and focus on a clan of man-apes who are struggling to survive. Chief among yep. them seems to be a guy called Moonwatcher, who we meet while dragging his father's corpse out of his cave, which is kind of weird. But I guess makes sense since they hadn't really developed a familial bond to say. They kind of go out of the way to say how everyone's just really interested in that they're really kind of hungry. Yeah. And they'd like to not be. I think there's mostly, too, to kind of then be a contrast for later after they've been uh, manipulated by the monolith. You know? I feel like that was kind of a... I don't know. I maybe should have been a little different. Cause, like they bothered the point. I was like, he he knows it's his father. I get the whole like. Well, no, you know, he, he but it's like he feels he feels like a faint bond or something. I don't know. Like the, the if if you think about it, like the the concept of fatherhood is uh, like biological fatherhood is kind of uh, recent to our understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you you do kind of have to know how all that stuff works to be able to correlate like who your actual father is, right? Right. So I think I think them pointing out that like yeah, this is a this is kind of an alien concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, so anyway, they also bring up the Moonwatcher. I guess it's because... That I might have missed this point. It's called Moonwatcher because he's the one who stands guard at night and watches the moon, or is it because they say later that he tried to touch the moon once and then learned that it was further away than it looked? Yeah, he'd have to get to the top of a really tall tree. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I just got the impression he was just... That's kind of what it was. He was like kind of a, a little bit of the odd guy mm-hmm. who did stuff at night that, like the others just didn't do you know I don't know that's the impression I got from it is that he was just a little more a little more curious about things than the others like not probably a whole lot but just enough to be different I guess right you know whatever did him until he was the uh, like the the sort of the best specimen or something for the uh, for the experimentation by the, yeah right by the monolith right right because he wouldn't necessarily be afraid of it or something at least not for a while that was my thought yeah uh, the, trying to set up his set him up his uh, personality was there right. as an ape man so. Right. So what you're saying is, if this was an RPG, he'd be the one with the crazy hair. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that is my assumption. So, Moonwatcher and his Cut. his group of man-apes are sort of in conflict with the others, who are just mm-hmm. a different clan of man-apes, who they seem to meet up with sometimes and threaten each other, but they mentioned that they're not really able to hurt one another. I guess they could fight, but not really enough to do lasting damage or kill one another. Mm-hmm. Which kind of gave me pause for a second. Like, is that... That doesn't seem true, unless they're trying to say it's because they're so malnourished and therefore weak that they couldn't... I don't know, like, surely they had, like, a sleeper hold or something. I mean, fisticuffs, you know. Fisticuffs, yeah. like, yeah. You hit another guy enough times, he probably will die. Yeah, I mean, apes even now are like dangerous. Yeah, right? yeah. Not just to us, but to each other. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think it is a fair point that they were kind of malnourished and. Yeah. You know, but I think they made a point to say that uh, uh, they were only kind of half-heartedly going at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like maintain territorial boundaries or something. Right. Yeah, just enough to save face. Yeah. Right. Well, they mentioned, too, that as soon as they're not looking at each other anymore, they're like, okay. Like, it's... Right. They're like, they're 
dealing with object permanence in general, like, I don't see it now, so it's probably not an issue. Yeah. Just too tired, I guess, too, and... You know, gotta keep, gotta keep going on, find that food. Right. So, eventually, Boon Watcher hears a clank of metal and finds a new rock, which is rectangular and clear, which starts vibrating, making a drumming sound, and glows. It seems to be examining the man-apes and kind of puppeteering them, Mm -hmm. testing out their physical abilities, and weeding out the ones that seem promising or not. I mean, we sort of touched on this a little bit already, but uh, I thought it was interesting that one of the things it shows uh, Moon Watcher during this is a happy family, like just kind of sitting around and being chill. And... This is the first thing that generates any sort of feelings of envy or discontent. So it's like, these people are happy, and you are not. And so what are you going to do about it? It seemed, to me, very creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Just showed up and, like, jacked into their heads. It was like, this guy's not really responding well. Kick him out. I caught was kind of really creepy, which we may touch on later, is the reward system it used for its tests. Basically uh-huh. gives you, like, an orgasm if you do your shit right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like triggering some of the same shit. What what <laughs> book did you read? Because I missed that part. <laughs> it's just talking about, like, the pleasure response in their brains. It was, like, just kind of, like, similar, like, deep and kind of the wording he used. I'm like, ah, so they basically gave it, like, an orgasm as a reward. <laughs> I'm going to try not to go into like the dolphin experiments and hand jobs. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I don't see that in my book. <laughs> Too think, bad for you. I think you might have made that part up. <laughs> well, I'm just paraphrasing and I'm using my own uh, okay. <laughs> own construction. So. Okay, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just like the sheer amount of manipulation that ends up happening. I don't know. I thought that was all interesting too. Yeah. You know, all the things just that the monolith shows Moonwatcher and the others that are good test subjects, like you know. Mm-hmm. It's just I, I don't know, it's it'll play out, so Yeah. You know, they'll finally find out in like three books why that happened. <laughs> <laughs> three books from now, there'll be more answers. Awesome. Foreshadowing. <laughs> so I had a note about this, but then could not read my own handwriting. So I'll need you guys to confirm that one of the subjects is like tapping stones together, or Moon Watcher kills one of the other guys with a stone. I was real uh, drunk by then, and just, oh. no. I don't remember that, but I could be wrong. I remember the monolith accidentally killing one of them during it. Yeah. yeah. I think that probably happened to a few of them. That sounds like, right. Like he, like he stroked out in the middle of it. Yeah. And, uh, like, oh crap, I shouldn't have pulled on that particular string. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, let's just back away uh, <laughs> and try this again with a different guy. Yep, give that guy an orgasm, so you know it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Little psychic hand job from a rock, you know, like yep. no, no just, big deal. Just sprinkle what's an the, orgasm on him and walk away; he'll be fine. <laughs> like, what's the difference? It's all in our brains, anyways. Uh, <laughs> well, either way, <laughs> Moonwalker eventually gets the idea that if he picks up a stone, his hand is heavier. And he tries out his new weapon on an unsuspecting warthog. Which was another interesting passage because the first animals they start hunting on just kind of... It's like hunting on easy mode because they don't know what the fuck is going on. So they just kind of walk up to all of them and then smash them in the heads. Eventually the animals become wary. Right. But that's a big thing. I wonder what it would have been like to be the first... I mean, so long ago, groups of hominids are like, oh, look, we're going to kill this other animal for some protein. Yeah. You know, we're not just maybe raiding a carcass. It's like, oh, this one was alive and it's smaller and I, we killed it and we're eating it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, I was picturing what it might be like to be the first warthog that gets killed by getting his head caved in with a stone. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing, like, anybody who's ever played Dark Souls, like... You die. <laughs> <laughs> just walking up a hill or something and just fucking dead, so... Yep. Yep. Just take an arrow from out of nowhere. Right. Um... So through this experimentation with hunting and repurposing what they already have into tools, uh, they accidentally invent carry-out food and kill one of these deer, I guess. <laughs> anyway, they talked about the carry-out food as like a big invention. Like I made a note of that, that when he had a brilliant mm. idea, I was like, I could just take what I killed back to my house and I could just eat it there. Yeah. And I was... I questioned whether they were saying that was an important thing because they could take it back to the house or because it ends up drawing a leopard into their cave following the blood trail. Hmm. I feel like there's a lot of just trying to show general human evolution in this, mm-hmm. like, first few chapters. So, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, learning how to, like, hunt other animals and take them back to your home is... It isn't a good thing because you can process it more there. Eventually, it's like you can cook it, store it, mm-hmm. have it available in the future. You're not just completely dependent on finding stuff. I mean, that's still better. That's still how it happens for a long time. Right. But it's just that whole idea of, oh, we don't have to just eat it where it dies thing. We can take it to where we're safe mm-hmm. and not you know, subject to a lion coming along and stealing it from us type of deal. And on the other hand, yeah, it was probably supposed to be important, too, because of the whole leopard encounter. So, I don't know. But, yeah. Having food readily available for you, like high calories, is an important, like, development, so. I agree with that statement. (laughs) So, yeah, anyway, the leopard shows up. They kill that dude. Uh, Yep. Sort of by accident. But that was pretty cool. I like that scene a lot. And afterward, yeah. the uh, crystal block disappears, but they make a note that they only kind of notice it's even gone. Like, they didn't really know it was there, and they don't really notice that it leaves. Right. There's still two people, I hate the word, but just still too primitive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the last scene we've got with Moonwatcher was actually my favorite part of the Part one is uh, there's a scene where he rolls up on the others who (laughs) engage in their usual like show of, you know, screaming and making violent motions. But no, Moonwatcher has brought Leopard's Head on a pole and uses his makeshift (laughs) MacGyvered Leopard Head spear to stab the fuck out of those guys. (laughs) I thought that was a really, really great visual. Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't want to see that coming toward me now. (laughs) No, exactly. Like, whatever you want, buddy, it's yours. Fine, take it. Here's the keys to my house. Yeah, just I'll (laughs) empty my pockets and and run the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Hard pass. It shows that he's got... Yeah, it just shows he's got power because they're using these tools that the others don't really have yet. Mm-hmm. And he used it to defeat this, like, great enemy, this death, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, hey, yeah, we're not going to fuck with that guy anymore. Whatever he, whatever they want is theirs. Yeah, I, it struck me as, I don't know, I, if I had been writing it, I probably would have just gone like, well, they took the leopard's, like, teeth out and put it on the end of the stick. Oh, teeth are sharp. Way too, way too advanced. But something about yeah. the picture, just like, well, this head bites us sometimes, and I'd like him to bite that other guy. Yeah, but he's all the way over there, man. So <laughs> use this extendo stick and mm-hmm. show him yeah. my power. This this also again goes back to that uh, killer ape theory about yeah. know, the, uh, the inherent sort of violence of people, I guess, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, look, right here we have uh, the origin of war, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like, the first thing they use technology for is to kill the fuck out of everybody? 
Yep. Yeah. Right, which was not the case. But, I mean, 50 years ago, we didn't really know as much either, so. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the, uh. I am glad. Died. I'm sorry? I'm glad that theory died out. Oh. So. You cut out. I thought you said you were glad someone died. had died. Like. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. No. Anyway. Violence. <laughs> so part one closes out as kind of like a fast forward montage through the rest of history as men start mm-hmm. developing more and better tools, feedback loop, right. better tools making better humans. And they make a big point about talking about speech as the first great victory over time because now you can know shit and then people who aren't alive now can know shit later. I mean, the main point to me seems to be that the men are exchanging personal defenses for technology. Or, Mm -hmm. like, they're less defended, but they can do more things and they can be more offensive with things. We're relying on tools, but they can kill the hell out of a lot more people. Yeah, and just the whole kind of we're not relying on nature because of those tools. Right. You know, can overcome a lot of stuff, including each other. Whoa! But, you know, Cold War, what can you do? Right. So any other thoughts about part one? <laughs> I have none. You have none. <laughs> Those are all of my thoughts. I'm sure I won't oh, anything else later. Ever. Ever. All right. So part two. TMA stroke one. We are introduced to Dr. Hayward Floyd. He with is mentioned has three kids and a deceased wife who's about to embark on a one-man mission to the moon. And mm-hmm. I noticed while I was reading through this section, like, I could not help focusing on the, like, projected future of the distant past of 2001. <laughs> right? All um, the way in the year 2000. Makes me think of Conan's in the year 2000. Exactly. Right, exactly. Because they noted that the population is now completely out of control at six billion people. Oh, Whereas in 1965 there were three and a half billion, and now we have 7.7 billion. Yeah. So I mean, the argument could still be that it is probably a little bit out of control, but six billion doesn't seem to give me the same level of panic that someone in the 60s might have had. Right. Well, and there's this. I'd have to. I haven't. I can't remember when this stuff came out. Was uh, the Green Revolution in swing yet or not when they were writing this? Because it was a concern the 50s going into the 60s about how we would feed everybody. Right. And, uh, and we developed better fertilizers and farming techniques for that, so it was not a problem now type of deal. One of the things that struck me as kind of interesting about this is like um, he, he mentions kind of offhand that they are having trouble feeding everybody on Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later on proceeds to explain how they uh how they can, like, create food, essentially, in a laboratory on the moon. And right. Like, really... So, like, which one is it, I guess? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. If they can make algae food on the moon... Why aren't they doing it on Earth? Right. Yeah, or at least exporting yeah. some of it. Right. Yeah, he does seem to think, like, the space and the moon setting is kind of like the utopia. Yeah. And Earth is Which just it is. I mean, it's a shitty. designed environment for humans, and, you know, it's kind of perfected up there because they don't have as many people, and but it's all, like, planned out right. a lot better than, you know, Earth. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh-huh. I guess it's, it's a population problem solved by colonizing other worlds. There you go. Perfect. They mentioned that there are now 35 nations with nuclear power. I didn't feel like looking this up to see if that's still true or has ever been true, so. but they mentioned that. I don't think it's been true yet. China is looking to sell their nuclear weapons for the handsome sum of $200 million, which seems ridiculously Ooh. low as a buy-in for nuclear power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what was it in 1960-whenever? Mm. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, they know. talk about... Hundred thousand dollars, like that's a lot of money. That's true. So, 
They do mention somebody's salary somewhere in here, and I didn't write it down, but it been like they have a handsome salary of like forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh oh geez. Uh it was it was the administrator of the entire yeah. uh the entire base. That's right. And his salary was fifty thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. Which I'm sure it was a lot of money back in the back in the day. Yeah. Eight dollars, I suppose. <laughs> Inflation uh, didn't hit dollars as hard. What was that? Said inflation didn't hit the moon dollars as hard. <laughs> the double dollars they have to use on the moon. That's right. Yeah. So we know that Dr. Floyd is off to the moon, although we don't really know why. We go through right. the stages of him launching up from Kennedy Space Station. And I made note that it is stage launch. The base still separates, but then the base goes right back to Kennedy for refueling and an hour later can relaunch again. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the flight up to the space station seems kind of like they're on a southwest flight. Yeah. Uh, with waitresses walking around, um, even though they are in, you know, microgravity. But they're yeah. velcroed to the floor, which is somehow reassuring to people, because that makes them normal. But i got to think, that's still kind of weird. Seeing the later... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like they said, the whole point was to make it seem normal, like flying, to yeah. give it that that future kick, I guess. Like, oh, look, they go into space, like we fly across the country. Yeah. It's so regular, you know. Yeah. You know, and they go through the, you know, they make it seem like an airplane on the inside. Right. Well, I mean, you it know, is, it's part like of a, it, it is, but, yeah, you it's know. it's a space plane. It's just got, like, yeah. a, a boost so they mentioned there's a rumor of an epidemic on the moon Uh, Dr. Floyd's flight docks with Space Station 1 which they mentioned Mm -hmm. is spinning to mimic gravity Mm -hmm. which I feel like people now have seen in a number of movies like Interstellar Yeah. Uh, he has to go through customs and while he's waiting decides to call home and I also made note that it was a 30-second connection time to make a call to the house. Which, I don't know, it seemed like a really long time. I wonder if that was just him letting it ring. <laughs> like, no one's picking up. Yeah. He's just gonna, he said he was just going to leave a message ring, so. It's true. Yeah. Waiting for the machine. Yeah, and I guess they didn't really have cell t- cell towers or satellites at that point, so 30 seconds probably wouldn't seem that long. Probably not. If he's envisioning no. some lady moving a cord from here on space station <laughs> to there on local phone, but... Right. Uh, he runs into, a, I think, a former colleague, a Soviet astronomer, Dr. Moisevich, and they go for drinks. Uh, Dr. Moisevich is inquiring about TMA-1, although he doesn't really seem to know what it is. The assumption right. that this might be a disease that's broken out. Um, that's the story. Sorry? That's the story, Morning Glories. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he, he doubts the cover story, right? And yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And he just doesn't have enough details, you know? Yeah, that TMA-1 is even the name like he's not even supposed to know. Right. Right. So after some very subtle uh, queries, they depart for the moon, and again, they talk about how he eats pretty normal food and reads, Mm -hmm. like, future microfiche newspaper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, these are all the things that kill me, where they're like, they're really close to what actually happens, except they can't quite envision how that next step is really going to be, like... Right. And they all do this a hundred times every day, like read a newspaper from right. across the country on our tiny little screen. But it's not like we have to get a cartridge and plug it in. And like, if you can transmit it, it doesn't need to be like that. But you don't have to. You don't have to um, turn your phone around to look up the uh, the number of the newspaper that you want. Right. Exactly. Like I have this written down. For easy easy access, because I can't be bothered to memorize all the right. numbers of all of the newspapers. 
Right. <laughs> like they could think of, you know, electronically sending a newspaper to someone's device somewhere, but not the idea that they could just save the connection information, like on the thing too. So right. Just click on your bookmark. Yeah. I mean, I said good predictions, but yeah, just slightly off, you know. Right. Well, Based on, I guess, just rain, you know. Shit that could go either way in time. I don't know. Right. It's just a bridge too far. <laughs> like if you had said, "Oh, it'll just pull it up." Like you don't even have to think about it that hard. Uh, right. Like people wouldn't buy that. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's unbelievable. No, ridiculous. Yeah, I'm reminded of a bit that Pat Oswalt did in one of his specials, talking about you know iPods. He's like, mm-hmm. if you went back in time and told me in the 80s, like, you'll have a thing that's no bigger than a cassette tape that will hold all of the music ever. You're like, wow, that must be like a miracle thing. Like, you won't even listen to any of it because it's all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'm butchering it, but just. Got it. I mean, he's right. <laughs> figuring out the next step you can only get so far, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, the general note I had about this whole section was that it's really interesting because it seems pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Like, I suspect someone reading this when it first came out would have been like, man, the future. Yeah, be like, totally. I mean, I guess we could feasibly do something like this right now. Like, we already have, you know, SpaceX and talk of, like, interstellar tourism. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. Just some details they're trying to work out still, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's always the argument too. If we'd kept uh, kept our space money in exploration after the moon, like we might have developed some of that stuff at least by the '90s. Who knows? I don't know if it'd be any good, but yeah. it'd be good enough to have a base there, probably. Well, that is you know? where they say the base was founded, right? 1994. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, a couple of notes before we talk about the base. So I noted that the machines do all the controlling of the landing. Like mm-hmm. Humans don't even really get involved with it. It's just machines talking to one another. Seems pertinent. And uh, mm-hmm. the whole trip is made in a day. And again, this isn't a point where we've never even been to the moon once and they're already imagining like this will just be a day trip. Right. So, like I said, less than a day later, he arrives at Clavia Space, which is home to 1,100 men and 600 women, established in 1994. And uh, as a random thing, I was listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about stuff that came out in 1994. Mm -hmm. So just for comparison's sake, in this book where we're building our first base on the moon in 1994, here's what we were doing on Earth. Oh, boy. We were using Netscape Navigator for the first time. Woo! We had just opened the channel. Uh, PlayStation 1 had come out. And the first World Cup was held in the U.S. NAFTA was signed. Uh, Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered. Uh, Friends premiered. Pulp Fiction. Shawshank Redemption. And Star Trek Generations all came out. Wow. Yeah. So this was an important, important year. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Got to see Jean-Luc Picard on the big screen for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was a very important part of my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this guy was colonizing the moon. We were dealing with how to have both Star Trek uh, shows on the big screen at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> and the best we could come up with was, like, Space Heaven. Yep. Yeah. The Nexus. The Nexus. <laughs> so he goes into a lot of deal detail about the base and how it's kind of working. Uh, mm-hmm. Say it's self-sustaining. They get all the chemicals they need from nearby rocks, which I sort of question, but I don't know enough about it to make a definitive... Yeah definitive statement about it. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff up on the moon that we can use, but maybe not everything we need. Uh, they're creating food from algae, but it tastes 
close enough to regular food that people don't know the difference. Again, I gotta wonder. You're gonna know if you're eating like a chicken or if you're eating algae chicken. Some magical uh, chemical process in there, I guess. I guess. You know. Um, they talk about how all the people's quarters have certain luxury touches to keep them from kind of going crazy. There's mm-hmm. a lot of artwork in there, but it's just for the sake of having artwork. And uh, high-tech picture windows so they can pretend like they're back on Earth. So they right. the space madness, I guess. Yeah, that's my assumption. But even then, it's another one of these things where, like, yeah, we can have a picture like that looks like really it's outside, but we only have eight to choose from. Mm-hmm. Just the eight. Well, I get uh, the feeling they don't have an internet. But still, I mean, like, how many floppy disks do they have to send up there to have, like, ten? Probably fifty. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. If we had PlayStation 1 in 1994, they had CD-ROM. Like, come on. Yeah, but these people don't have CD-ROM. It's hard to know. I mean, that's a yeah. high-resolution image. Yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, I'm calling you out. You should have known about Black Disc CD-ROM by now. <laughs> we would have already had it. I'm, I'm just assuming this is all done by, like, rear projection. And so you hit a switch, and it uh, yeah. you know, changes yeah. the slide in the machine. Yeah, that's my assumption. Yeah, they waste so much space with this projection equipment. <laughs> if you have to slides, make... man, that was prime technology back then. My grandfather put all his trip photos in slides. Yeah, if you have to make eight slides for all seventeen hundred people, that's a lot of slides, I guess. Yeah. Yep. It's going to take up space on your ship. Yep. Uh, they talked about how people move around in the microgravity of the moon. Mm-hmm. People are apparently six times as sluggish as they might appear based on their weight. So I'm picturing people like having real life lag, like they have a really high pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's an adjustment period. They said that the people right. who have been on the base for a while try to steer away from the newbies because they don't really know how to corner yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't feel like that'd be me. I'd just be flying into the wall in every corner. <laughs> One of the things that they didn't know about yet, I guess, was the weird, uh, like, sort of bunny hop yate that they had to have. Right. Yeah. And I guess NASA was probably doing experiments around that time uh, where they would uh, hang people uh, kind of sideways at, a, at an incline to simulate the reduced gravity mm-hmm. and uh, see how they walked around and stuff. But I don't know if they would have known about that. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm picturing the there's the one race they had on Nickelodeon Guts where they hung you sideways and you had to run the track. Sideways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That feels like right yeah. in 1994-ish. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also made a note that the, the light... Reflecting off the moon's surface, even when they're standing on it, is still too bright for them to see the stars that well. We talked about that a couple of times in this section, how you really couldn't really see anything, even though you're out there in space, mostly. So we're introduced then to Ralph Halverson, the aforementioned administrator of the Southern Province, and geophysicist Dr. Ray Michaels, and Halverson's four-year-old daughter, Diana, who is four, but speaks pretty grown up and seems to be like much more physically developed because I guess in lower gravity you just grow like a weed or something yeah I guess you you may you would I don't know I I mean the expanse on this one it's it's hard to know but yeah I've seen in a lot of science fiction they talk about uh, you know people who are born and live all their life in reduced gravity end up having like they end up being taller and having you know, brittle yeah. and that kind of stuff. Right. That and we know sense. that, like, from extended periods of weightlessness, you do lose bone. Yeah. Uh, you but, do. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what it would what it would be if you were always in uh, what is it one sixth gravity. Right. Well, here's thing. Something I think he got spot on because she's talked about as like the first spaceborn generation, and mm-hmm. when uh, Floyd is. Asking her, like, hey, I'm from Earth. She's, like, completely uninterested. She's like, fuck <laughs> off, old man. I'm only interested in the moon. She's, she's focused on, like, TikTok. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. She's playing Fortnite. She doesn't <laughs> care about her. It's like, it might be fun to visit one day, maybe. May, I guess. You know, see where your parents came from. I'll do study abroad there one year and just kind yep. of fuck around. But yep. I'm not terribly interested. <laughs> so they are then uh, ushered into a briefing about TMA-1, which we find out is Tycho Magnetic Anomaly 1. A big magnetic disturbance somewhere in Tycho, which I forget which that is. Is that a crater? One of the seas? Uh, I, I thought it was just one of the sea areas. Yeah. I can't remember. Some, it seems likely. Yeah. Uh, so he's informed that they found this disturbance. They drilled and dug at the site and found a black monolith. Which, as far as they describe it, seems to be much like the crystal, but it's now jet black. And they mentioned that it is assumed to be three million years old and predating of all humans. Mm -hmm. So, being scientists, they jump in a mobile laboratory and head off to TMA-1. Again, they note that the Earth shine, like the light from the Earth, is now 12 times brighter than the full moon. And so they really can't see stars, but it's basically daytime light. Mm -hmm. uh, they investigate the obelisk. They assume that it was buried on the moon three million years ago. And they have a lot of questions about what it might be. Whether it's a magnetic signature, as a marker for other explorers to return to. The, uh, Floyd kind of wonders, if could it be from the moon? Which he seems says seems unlikely. He supposes it could be from a precursor civilization to Earth, but assumes we would have found it before. Or that it could be from the stars, although that would be too far away. Which, that also, like, if it's already three million years old, how far away could it really be to be too far away? Right. The, Four uh, million light years? I don't know. I mean, I guess. That'd be too... Uh, the expedition team snaps a historic picture of the team who investigate, and Dawn hits the monolith for the first time they assume in three million years, and immediately starts screeching. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to a scene of multiple deep space monitors picking up the signal as it sweeps out of the solar system. And that's where part yep. two comes to an end. So I would ask for assumptions, although I'm pretty sure you probably remember what's happening. Yes. <laughs> With that. I tried to forget, but yes. Tried to forget, but... <laughs> so, again, like... If I was reading the book for the first time, my first assumption here would be that they're about to get visited by whatever set that thing up to begin with. Like, this is a beacon calling out to these people, mm -hmm. hey, time to come back and investigate. Yep. Right. But as I don't remember any, like, Independence Day scenario in the movie, i got to assume <laughs> that that's not going to happen. No. So, uh, I'm assuming this is... Triggering something else that's been set up somewhere else. Yep. That's now going to be important and interesting for the next section of the book. So yeah, I mean, this this section seemed like it was really laying a lot of groundwork. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I will say that I really enjoyed the way he described this stuff. Because mm -hmm. we talked a lot, a lot of information that you need to set up for this world they're going to be in. But I don't feel like he belabored anything too much. Like it was, yeah. A lot of stuff was mentioned, but he's kind of like, okay, well, I mean, they have, they have this, but we don't need to dwell on it. So I appreciate kind of, that. That's, yeah, I mean, that's what I like about his style is, is always kind of like that. It gives you just enough information, and it's not like, it's not an overload, and but it still paints a really nice picture for you. Right. Keeps it all approachable for everybody. Mm -hmm. Other Chris, any general thoughts about the style and the book so far? Can we talk about spinning toilets? <laughs> I think we have to talk about spinning toilets. So there, there is a spinning toilet. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't I, I, I do like that. Uh, <laughs> um, like him reading the instructions, like just to be sure. Like, no, it's not any different from. Last time I was in here, because <laughs> like, that's yeah, that's something that you really don't want to go wrong, right? No. <laughs> and 
and uh, but and and also again talking about like uh, technological like predictions, mm-hmm. uh, like what we actually use is more of a like just the vacuum, right? You know, just kind of a gentle vacuum, like uh-huh. don't uh, <laughs> like no, yeah. we need to spin an entire room. <laughs> so no, right? Uh, I was like, were people really thinking of doing that back then? I mean. What other way are you going to do it? We've always done, like, the suction tube, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what they did, but they just hooked that up to spacesuits before they'd have a toilet on, like, the shuttles or whatever. Well, like, what what's interesting to me uh, that kind of just occurred to me, actually, is that they would have to probably have something else counter-spinning every time someone, like, you yeah. know, spun up the bathroom to keep the uh, right. ship from rotating a little bit. Do people have to take a shit in pairs? <laughs> Do they have awesome the shit, Parker? <laughs> you have scheduled shits. That Better you time to it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wonder about these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if either of you have been seeing it recently. It seems like I'm seeing this more on the internet. Talking about uh, J.K. Rowling's idea of what uh, magic people did before the toilet was invented. Mm-mm. Have you seen this? No, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> we should put out some sort of tweet or on Pottermore or whatever blog. Like, uh-huh. like this woman needs to write another book because she can't qu- quit going back and just inventing other shit that was never in any of these books. But that's beside the point. Um, yeah, so she said that before the toilets were invented, magic... Or wizards would just take a shit wherever they were and then disappear it later. Huh. Like, why would... Who would think that? Like, hold on a minute, guys. Like, I'm going to take a shit right here. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, they're watch removed. Me drop deuce, and then why I'm going to magic it away. Why not just magic it away in the first place? I'm saying it's it. like body first, man. Natural processes here. Like, I mean, they talk about how they don't think as hard as muggles do because they don't have to. But they would have mm-hmm. probably thought about going behind a wall or something or in another room. I, I assume <laughs> they would have done that because humans aren't always magical. You know, you know about like a... They interact with our societies enough to know, hey, look, they have toilets. Maybe right. we should at least have a room we go shit in and then whisk it away from there. <laughs> you, know, least... you know how, like, uh, like, like little kids... Like toddlers or something, uh-huh. uh, we'll just like yeah. we'll just like you know walk up and like grab the arm of the couch and just kind of stand there. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I know what you're doing. <laughs> like, I see what's happening here. <laughs> like, is that what they're saying that it was like for wizards? Like they're just <laughs> like, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> I can only imagine that's got to be what it is. Like. Did they just yeah, not wear pick- pants with their robes? Like, they're like, hold on a second. Pull up the robes. Because I learned disgusting shit at Versailles. They would just piss anywhere they were standing. Like, That's all so these notebooks hanging around. That's so, so true. And, like, it made sense with the French ladies, you know, ladies with the big dresses. They could just stand there and no one would know they were doing anything. But... I'm like, that's kind of disgusting, especially for, like, the elite elite. They couldn't come up with, like, gilded toilets for them to use. I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just pissing in a pot. Yeah. But, I don't know. Bathrooms, what can I say? Is that why they wear robes? Is it just because they would just shit wherever? I think so. It's got to be it. I think so. So my question <laughs> is, that why do we all give up robes and have to go in little rooms now when we could just shit anywhere we want to? <laughs> We've all taken a step backwards. And it's very clear. <laughs> very clear. <laughs> oh, All right, well, homework for next time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Read parts three and four, Between Planets and the Abyss, which in my version takes you up to page 211. Cool. So do that. So, I also wanted to have a segment that I've not yet named, so I'm going to try a couple names on you guys. Quadotra. Okay. For other stuff we're talking about. Or Kemos. Or <laughs> Nanimo. Or <laughs> Nanimo. Nanimo. What else are you guys 
What else is entertaining you guys at the moment? I'll say for me, mm-hmm. is Spider-Man for PS4. Okay. Good I choice. am uh, what some people might call a, a patient gamer, but I would call a uh, broke and time-strapped gamer. Mm-hmm. So I'm generally a generation behind. So I'm just now getting to play this game, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, my youngest son and I spent time yesterday trying to find the Ghostbusters firehouse in Tribeca in the game, and found that it is in fact there. Wow! Wow! It doesn't have the logo on the front, but it does have a graffitied ghost on the back, so you know you found it. Nice. But I was disappointed it wasn't one of the secret landmarks you can take a picture of. Oh, yeah, that is unfortunate. Yeah. But, uh... I it's... was, by the way, uh... Yeah. Looking for the Ground Zero site, mm-hmm. and that wasn't in there. No, they took that out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird, but not necessarily uncommon for Spider-Man properties. Yeah. Um, I I was I was actually curious, uh, like, like is this a difference in the Spider-Man sort of canon? I guess, like, mm-hmm. you know, if Spider-Man was in New York at the time. No, I mean they had comics after nine eleven where all the Marvel heroes went and helped out, and even Doctor Doom was crying. Wow! Yeah. But uh, I don't really know what they do in the actual comic books, but I know they edited some of the the Raimi Spider-Man movies mm-hmm. because of featuring. Yeah, it. I think the yeah. first one. Yeah, but the game is really scratching the kind of itch that Assassin's Creed used to do for me. Like, mm-hmm. very similar, except you don't, you know, stab people with hidden blades. At least not yet. <laughs> right. Um, hidden spiders. Right. Yep. But you do yeah. get to, you know, like, jump down and, like, jump kick people and knock them out, or web them mm-hmm. up and hang them from the ceiling. And Yep. The same thing I did in Assassin's Creed 3, which is like, well, there's side missions now, so I'm going to go do all of those. Mm-hmm. So, Aunt May was having a birthday party, but I was very busy finding all of my backpacks. <laughs> but it's been very entertaining, and I'm, I've am i now done most of the side missions I can do now, so I have to go on with the story, so mm-hmm. should be interesting. Chris, aside from moving... <laughs> ah, yeah. And reading all of the pages of this book. <laughs> Is there anything else that's entertaining you right now? Um, uh, sure, I'm hoping I get a, a thing. I applied to go to his uh, AI summit thing in the end of March in San Francisco. Oh, nice. I've never had to, like, it's like, hey, it's like a conference thing, but you have to apply to go if you didn't get an invitation. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, stuff I'm interested in, and how many social workers do you get to come to these things? I uh, mean, I have a perspective, and I want to learn from you all, so we'll see. Hopefully I'll hopefully cool. be like, sure, we'd love to have you. Here's uh, $500 for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, excellent, because, you know, airfare. What? Right. But well, Fingers crossed on that's, that. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty cool, so that's kind of entertaining and I just I don't know the whole just having to apply for a thing like well, that's weird but whatevs yeah. you know and I keep I guess keep numbers controlled so right makes sense yeah but if I get to go it should be pretty interesting I'm not really done much with uh, that crowd right so I think it'd be a really cool learning opportunity to see what people are doing and a lot of it's geared towards hey how can we uh develop this technology into a positive for humanity. So I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, interlaps, you know, intersecting ideas and expertise, I guess. So avoid so. Skynet is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. How do we uh, also avoid societal collapse when there's no jobs and nobody knows how to do any, how to define mm-hmm. their self-worth without it or mm-hmm. any worth? You know, how do you pay for shit when you don't have a job? Right. <laughs> Spinning toilets. Now, but, you know, there we go. <laughs> Spinning toilets. Spinning that's the toilet answer. is going to revolutionize this whole thing. I would suggest that. <laughs> First step, <laughs> I really can't recommend you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, other Chris? Uh, I've... I've been reading, uh, also reading, um, 
the three body problem by Xixin Lu. Yeah, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah, I it's uh, it's the translation of it, I guess. It, it's a really popular book in China, but the translation yeah. of it a few years ago uh, won a Hugo Award, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've been hearing about it from various places, and recently, uh, uh, another story written by the same author was uh, turned into a, a big budget Chinese movie and made like half a billion dollars in China. Wow! And that kind of reminded me that uh, I need to uh, like get going on this, so I I decided to pick it up and start reading it. It's. Uh, it's very good so far, but I'm only probably about a quarter of the way through it. What's it about? Um, even a quarter of the way into it, it's kind of hard to tell. I would say <laughs> that it's uh, um, it's about, I think, um, a potential first contact. Mm-hmm. Like one of the ways that first contact could happen, I guess. Interesting. And uh, so far in the book, it's it's just kind of in the background. Um, we don't know anything about it directly, and there are some some hints that uh, uh, the laws of physics may not be universal. Wow! Some other interesting ideas. So huh. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Yeah, very interesting. Very very interesting. Very very interesting. Um, do yeah. you guys have Oscar predictions? No. By the time this releases, it will have been over for weeks, but... <laughs> I have not well, been paying attention to Oscars at all. Seems like every one of the like pop culture podcasts I listen to is talking about it. Oh, yeah. yeah I, think, I think we should just come back and cut it together so it looks like we uh, predict. <laughs> Black yeah. Panther. No, sorry. I don't know what they're nominated <laughs> for, but I know they have nominations. Best Picture. Oh, yeah, uh, maybe not that. Then. Not gonna happen. <laughs> I think there's maybe one other I've actually seen that's in there this year, but I can't remember. I've seen Black Panther. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That might be it as far as the best pictures go. Yeah. Danielle has seen Green Book and she liked it. Cool. I could watch Roma if I wanted to. Mm hmm. That's really all I got. <laughs> I don't think I saw First Man, although it would have been germane to this discussion. Yeah, <laughs> man, if only we could have like prepared. Yeah, we had done any level of research at all. Yeah, would have been great. Yeah, I don't know who was actually nominated. Oh, Black Klansman. Oh, I saw that. That was pretty good. I'm That'd be a worthy. Uh... But I did buy the book, so okay. I could read that. Bohemian that could be a worthy Rhapsody. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, and A Star is Born, and Vice. Yep, not seen any of those, just yeah. Black Clans. I wanted to see a few of them, but then I just, you know, didn't have the cash at the time, and yeah. time slipped away. Yeah. What can you do? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Start pirating more things? I don't know. <laughs> there we go. Yep. Uh, I did see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and that was really good. Was it's it? The one I managed animated feature film, but... Yeah, it was crazy. They, like, totally killed Spider-Man in, like, the first 15 minutes. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely got <laughs> <Red List. laughs> That's how all the good Spider-Man stories start. I know, right? Usually, yeah. Get this fucker out of the way. Yep. <laughs> Um, we also went and saw Alita the other day. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. What did you think? Well, not being familiar with the source material or anything at all, I thought it was fine. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I wanted more answers by the end of it, but I didn't get them. No. Yeah. And I, I feel I like they... they're trying to go like, hey, maybe we'll make a sequel, but I'm like, but that won't come out for 20 years, so... Uh. <laughs> I'm like, come on, I only got limited time here. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I'm surviving that long. <laughs> no, I, I think they tried to put a little bit too much into it. Yeah. yeah. Like I can they, see they could have focused a little bit more uh, closely on one part of the story. And, yeah. Uh, made a, like a, a cleaner movie, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
but I think also like James Cameron, you know, is a fan. And was mm-hmm. like, well, we have to have this in there. Right. We right. have to have this. Right. So and he was going to say no to him, really. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I thought it was better than I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was especially given the track record of uh, live action yeah. adaptations of anime. Yeah, movies. they released it. Right. Yeah, but like there was it was a weird juxtaposition between being like giant eyed cute anime girl to being like mm-hmm. I'm gonna murder the fuck out of all these people. <laughs> and the that only is reason, kind of the that is kind of the story, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with the anime either, but uh, I know it was previewed on a lot of the VHS tapes I used to get from Columbia House when that was how I got my anime. Oh man, ah, <laughs> time. Yeah. so time. Uh, now you can watch it on YouTube. I mean, maybe you still can. <laughs> I assume that it's not been taken down. In There's the surely guys. ways. I could see them making a big push to take it all down before the movie came out but probably but yeah it was better than I expected and I agree that it was like too much story for like a mm-hmm. origin story movie yeah yeah um but I appreciated that uh the guy with the unicycle motorcycle um was so annoying that they killed him twice like, <laughs> this guy's fucking dead no he's back and I'm killing him again like yeah, no, now he's really dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, super dead. Yep. Yeah, but he learned of a lesson along the way, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> then you had the uh, the Ed Norton cameo. Yeah. As as the uh, as the uh, um, the producer from Metalocalypse. <laughs> right. <laughs> the robot eyes. I know, and I'm kind of. I still like that was kind of useless. It's like, you took me all the way there, and you showed me who this guy is, and now the movie's over. Well, it's just setting up so, like, listen, there's going to be good actors in the next one, too. Like, yep. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I don't <laughs> think James Cameron will be alive long enough to make the sequel to this, so. The rate he goes in movies, I, yeah. you know, it's like, I want more out of this now. I want to know. I want to know, damn it. Go read the manga. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, don't do that. Read this book instead. Read the manga later. <laughs> yeah, we could do we can do the manga and the and the movie like a year and a half from now for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> be, be just so current. Yep. Everything. Remember that movie you didn't see a year ago? Oh, yeah. Guess what? You're going to see it now because we're telling you to see it. We're talking about it. Right. Awesome. <laughs> All right, gents. Well, I'm going to hit stop on this recorder here. Okay. Okay. That was our session for today. As a reminder, your reading assignment for next time is to read through parts three and four, Between Planets and Abyss, to be ready for our discussion next time. Now it's time for a few on-second thoughts. First of all, Texas. Listen, I said some shit, and I'm sorry. It's not you really isn't, it's me. It's just that, like, like, not all of you need, like, a really big truck, okay? Like, there's other cars available, and I just, I don't know. I, I won't say any more on that. Number two, I'd like to apologize to the decade of the 60s. Like, that was almost 60 years ago, and 60 years is a long time, but in our discussion, we seem to be treating it like the freaking Dark Ages, so surely we know more stuff now, but it's not like people in the 60s were completely in the dark about things, so I apologize for operating under that assumption. Today's episode escaped from low Earth orbit thanks to Chris, Chris Ham, and Chris, other Chris Jacobson, edited by me, Travis Rowe, and was sponsored by no one in particular. Until next time, keep fucking reading.
Whoa, whoa, we got crosstalk. So, oh, no. one Chris says, not only this book, but in future books, and other Chris said something I didn't hear. Uh, You're on the spot now. Snap. <laughs> you know how sometimes you say something that's kind of funny, and then when you have to, like, repeat it, it's just not as funny? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I it's ruined it. It's one of those. All right. Okay. <laughs> My fault. My bad. 